You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio, and today I'll be speaking with Chief Medical Officer Dr. Carrie Kelly. Welcome. Thank you. So for our listeners, you may have listened to a previous podcast from last March where Dr. Kelly spoke about Heart Health Month. We'll talk a little bit about that and how it ties into annual medicals, but we're going to talk today with a focus of attention on annual medicals and your contribution to that. And the reason we've chosen now to do this is because you've announced after 37 years of dedicated service that you're going to be retiring. Congratulations. Thank you. So so let's start with the beginning, right? So it's 37 years ago. Maybe we should talk about how you became a physician. You know, was coming to the fire department on your radar? How did all this happen? It's actually 40 years of service to the city because I did three years at Kings County as a family medicine resident. Mm. And I got interested in family medicine. My uncle, who was really a mentor, was a family physician. And it was something that I was attracted to, taking care of families and looking at communities over a long haul. My father was a fire lieutenant. My grandfather was a fire captain. And I knew about the fire department because of their relationships. And I applied. So we say fire department, you mean FDNY. Fire department, not just some (laughs) random fire department somewhere USA. Absolutely, yes. And I applied and uh, came for an interview. And when I came, I was the first woman to be accepted in that rank of fire medical officer. And I think it was a a time in which they were looking to bring in women. Mm -hmm. um, So that, I think, played a role. And I think my family medicine was also helpful because if there's anything the fire department is, it's, it's like a family in many yeah, ways. True. And my experience at Kings County, it was a large urban mm-hmm. hospital with, mm-hmm. I think, excellent uh, preparation. So I think all of those factors went into my being hired and I think my acceptance in the job. So I joined on uh, March 16th, 1981. And then in 1994, I believe, I became chief medical officer, again, the first woman, um, when Dr. Jones retired. Mm. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and again, there's been significant changes as time has gone on. I've been able to, I believe, really bring on a great team of physicians. Mm-hmm. If you look at the team that's here now, I think we really have a really broad spectrum of backgrounds, both in specialty practices and also a very caring group of physicians. And I think there's a real respect for the membership and a caring of the membership, which I think is very critical. So that brings us to the annual medical. So we were one of the first departments, if not the first fire department in the country, to start annual medicals. And like any other big project, and you being an integral part of implementing this and, you know, helping it grow to where it is today, it must have had a starting ground. So, you know, how did it start? And tell us about what's involved in the annual medical and what its value is to, particularly to a fire department. Mm -hmm. I think there was, as in anything, several catalysts for this. Mm. One was an unfortunate catalyst. We had what we call periodic medical examinations, which were truly very periodic. 
so that if I believe a company got a run while heading to their medical, they could turn around and not come for their medical. Mm. So the spacing between the, quote, annual or periodic medical really got very large. And the medical itself was a very limited exam. Um, we didn't have the space. We were down on Lafayette Street, and mm. we just could not really expand or do more. We had a line-of-duty death of somebody who had a sudden cardiac event. And at that event, of course, people said, when was their last annual? Mm. And I think it was 16 years. So when you have a story like that, you say, we need to make change. Fortunately, moving over to Brooklyn gave us really a whole floor. We really could expand. And I think another important factor was the development of bunker gear Mm -hmm. was creating so much more stress on people's cardiovascular system that we had to make sure our medical was geared up for that change because you know in this department, whether you are a probationary firefighter or a chief, you're going to put bunker gear on, you're going to go up and down stairs, Mm -hmm. you're going to feel the impact of that equipment change. Mm -hmm. So it was important to react to that. We were able to become part of the IAFF 10 city initiative Mm -hmm. so that with other cities we developed and worked to develop a medical that incorporated many of the elements that are there today. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest area that we've dealt with is the pulmonary function test to Mm -hmm. make sure that people have adequate respiratory reserve cardiac testing, looking at vitals, making sure that we do a thorough evaluation on people. Mm -hmm. In these annual medicals, do you find that you capture problems before they become catastrophic? Oh, I definitely believe that. We have an ability to do cardiac testing for people who have certain, either they have symptoms, of course we would do it, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's based on age, past medical history, family history, Mm -hmm. cholesterol, blood pressure, so that we can direct that testing for people who we feel are at high risk. We're able to do additional testing if we find there's a problem with people's lungs. And the blood work that we're doing, I think, is very thorough so that we're really able to direct people to get help, whether it's to make sure their blood pressure is controlled, make sure their sugar is taken care of, hopefully address cholesterol issues. All of the things that are an important part of a, a regular annual medical are useful information. We can show trends so that people can see changes that have occurred. If you look at people's health history, there are parts of your health that you can't change. You can't change your parents Mm -hmm. and whatever health issues you may have brought on board genetically, but you can modify so many parts of your life to improve your health. So these are all factors that really can play a role in how you feel and how you perform. And again, every rank in this department has to put on a uniform, put on bunker gear, run up and down stairs, whether you're a fire, whether you're at EMS, and you need to stay healthy as you do that. It's an important part of your job, and it's an important part of feeling well about yourself. So I think that's why the medical can be really important for people. Right. Have you, over the years, found that people are more accepting of the medical than they were in the beginning? Absolutely. Over time, people have recognized the importance, and I think that really says a lot about the trust that it has been created in our medical and the value of our medical in in picking up problems and keeping Mm -hmm. people healthy. Our goal is not to take people off the line Mm -hmm. or to stop people's careers. Our goal is to keep people healthy so they have long careers. So what year did all of this start? I believe it was 96 that the changeover occurred. 
we moved into this building and we were really able to fully develop our medical. That mm. was a, a big year. And that, of course, became very important after 9-11 because right. we had that pre-existing data, mm -hmm. which no other institution had, right. and was really a basis for developing our World Trade Center medical and also to do a true comparison of before and after that event. Right. I remember my first annual medical after 9-11 was January of 2002, and it was a sobering moment for everybody when you were handed that piece of paper that said, will you join the World Trade Center Health Monitoring Program? And there was a lot of paperwork to sign, permission slips and such, and there was even a blood test. There was this one vial of blood I remember it was like like it was yesterday, and partly because it's there's an emotional attachment, right? Because there's this sudden confirmation that people are worried. People are worried that you were exposed to these dangerous things, and it's going to adversely affect your health. And so I was grateful for it, but it was a sobering moment. You know, you cannot go back and change that day, right. but you want to make sure that moving forward, you recognize that the people have had exposures. You work hard to acknowledge what they were exposed to and also try to take care of people's health moving forward. Right. What do we know about health consequences and how can we either mitigate or at least do early recognition mm -hmm. so that we can treat and take care of people. Mm. And that's really been an important part of our mission. I feel that's part of the legacy, that mm. that was an important mm. role, that having been on the ground before 9-11, having been there that day and continuing onward, it was a really an important mission to mm. move forward and get that done. Mm. Our staff was phenomenal. After 9-11, we did three shifts a day of medicals so that people could come down and get medicals because we had to try to get them done in a limited time span. We worked with governmental agencies that were part of discussions of what the medical would look like. And because so much had been done beforehand, um, it was easy to continue some of our program because, again, that data was there for comparison. Right. And they were certainly interested in it from a health consequence because this was one of the largest domestic exposures that right. anyone has had. Mm -hmm. um, certainly in our country. Right. right. And I, I can't even imagine the value of being able to say, well, we have a baseline on all of these people. It and was, for some it was of enormous. us, it was a significant baseline. It was years of mm -hmm. uh, annual medical before 9-11. Mm -hmm. So I could see how significant that would be. So since we're speaking about 9-11, tell me, how did you get assigned to even go there on that particular day? How's that even happen? Well, as, as chief medical officer, I do respond to certainly injuries uh, mm -hmm. when our members are hurt. I was actually at a hospital doing rounds that day, and it, it came on my beeper, and then I saw it on television. And my first thought was, this isn't anything big, but I said... I know our members will respond. I really should go there. So I left the hospital and immediately traveled in. And I think, you know, you get a reality of a sense little by little. So mm -hmm. I knew about the one building. It wasn't until I sort of got there or as I was driving in, I realized it was two buildings. And when I got there and parked the car, some, you know, firefighters came over and said, you need to have a helmet dock, because I did have my jacket. So I went over to 10 and 10, and I remember as we walked over there, you know, there was so much debris and, and you know, evidence of the, the crash on the ground that you knew this was terrible. Mm -hmm. And then we got helmets and came out, and that's when they called me about a member who had been hit by the debris. Mm -hmm. So we got him in an ambulance and 
headed them off, and then I crossed the street, and then the first tower came down. After that came down, we started looking for victims and mm-hmm. started putting them in, you know, what we considered safe places. I had one of the people in a garage, and we were trying to put people there till we could get them over to the waterfront. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the way, the second, the north tower came down with more debris coming down. So, you know, it was just a, a day of not you know, you feel like an ant. You really don't know what's going on, but you're just trying to take care of what you can take care of. Right. And I think the the sad part of that day also was the recognition there were so few at that point injured. There were just so many dead. Mm-hmm. And that that recognition comes to you little by little as yeah. you realize that, you know, despite all that debris, that people are not moving underneath mm-hmm. it. And I think we still had a lot of hope that, People were down in pockets, and right. you know, people would find ways to stay safe. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember that day by day, not getting that kind of news, and then dealing with the start of the health issues. Mm-hmm. And and clearly, we recognized the health issues were going to be an issue, and the mental health issues that we needed to be prepared to take care of people, right. and that the consequences of that day would be far-reaching. Which leads us into your nine uh, eleven testimony. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was mostly about mental health issues or the concern of the future. It was definitely to let people know about that issue mm-hmm. and also to get funding, you know, to be right. sure that we could get federal funding because it was really a federal issue. You know, we were attacked that day right. and that the mental health consequences would be large for our population, both our members, the member family and for those who lost loved ones, you know, a program that addressed the issues of the spouses, the children. There were so many people. Mm -hmm. And our program, which thank goodness pre-existed our counseling service unit, really needed to expand. And they did so through funding. We were able to secure money through what's called Project Liberty and other groups brought forward money. We had the uh, Red Cross. We also had um, the National Fallen Firefighters Association Mm -hmm. and the IFF. And they've been able to provide of funding to assist us. So how did you get selected to go down and testify? I think I, that was just my role. It's just part I of mean, your job. Yeah. yeah, and I had always overseen this counseling service unit with mm-hmm. Maliki Corrigan, who was really the person who was running things. But um, mental health has been very near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to take care of people. You know, right. this is a very stressful job. Mm-hmm. People have to be strong mentally and physically, and right. you really need to address that. And I think that's always been a concern with first responders, that to this day, people will say, take care of that person, take care of that person, I'm fine, and they ignore their own needs. So having them acknowledge that they needed help is important. And in the past, we really were not treating widows or spouses or, you know, the children who were left behind. So that was an important part of taking care of our families um, after that event. What was it like to go testify? It's only two weeks after 9-11, and you have to, you know, with the emotions, because the emotions are pretty raw still at that point, you have to testify now in front of Congress, right? Yes, um, a committee. Well, a committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, I think because of all you've been through, you mm-hmm. know, at that point, it was you just you just move forward and get it done. Mm-hmm. And I believe very passionately in, in the whole concept. So right. I felt very um, I really wanted to get that message across. Mm-hmm. I felt it was very important that people understood what we've been through and that we need assistance, that mm-hmm. we need outside help. We cannot do it without some help. 
What's the result then of these hearings? Do we, we get the funding? We got in? funding. Uh, again, we've, we had to do piecemeal funding in the beginning for mm -hmm. both our medicals and for our psychological support. We were able to expand our site so that we went from one single place in Manhattan to sites at various places where our members were located. And again, Maliki Corrigan and his team really took the lead on that and, and moved forward in a great way. We had outside peer counselors come from some of the other big cities till we could train up enough people mm. so that we could have our own members do that peer counseling. And, and the concept of peer counseling is really not per se to give counseling, yeah. but just to help people understand or validate their feelings mm -hmm. and also help people move forward to get help for themselves, right. to help them recognize that maybe they need assistance mm. and, and provide some tools to help them with that through education and support. So it's really an important part of responding to any emergency, mm -hmm. and that was certainly an emergency that we needed help for. Yeah, I can agree with that. I recognize how much work that everybody in BHS does on this, whether it's for the annual medical or for the World Trade Center monitoring program. And we do. We have an outstanding staff. You know, I, I, I'm part of a team, and right. that team is phenomenal. The nurses, the, the HATS, who are the you know, EMTs who work there, the ancillary staff, our officers, they really do a wonderful job. You know, you're right, that memory, uh, the concern about cost and am I going to be able to get this covered or how am I going to get this taken care of, that's huge to be able to take care of that. You mm -hmm. know, we've seen that with our patients with cancer. You have enough to worry about. You don't have to think about the co-pays or the different engineering appointments. We can really mm -hmm. take care of that. And our staff is just so caring to people. They, mm -hmm. they make phone calls. They say, how are you doing? What's mm -hmm. going on? And then, you know, the World Trade Center program has added an additional group of, of physicians and nurses that really have expanded mm. our, our coverage. And we now have multiple sites, so that our counseling service and our World Trade Center monitoring is being handled on Staten Island, Orange County, out in Long Island at Fort Totten, as well as here. Uh, and our original CSU is still there in Manhattan. So that, that expansion has just been really very busy. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Okay. Ortiz and I really have worked together mm -hmm. for the last 10-plus years and have always been, I think, a great team yeah, working together. Mm -hmm. And her retirement, I think, probably triggered mine a little bit because mm -hmm. I felt that we really were a good team and right. that perhaps it was time for other people to, to take over. Right. So I've just enjoyed my time here. I've been very fortunate and it's so always been a, an honor and a privilege to work with the uh, New York City Fire Department. It's going to be very hard to say goodbye, yeah. but I feel I feel I've accomplished what I set out to do and maybe more and I I know that I'm leaving behind a strong program that others will pick up the ball and continue mm -hmm. and I think that's important. We can say with certainty you're leaving it better than it was when you started. Thank you. We can say that with certainty. Thank you. And um, before we wrap this up, why don't you explain to us, because the one thing we haven't talked about that you are also involved in and a major initiator of is Biopod. Yes. So explain to us, what is Biopod? So Biopod is an exercise mm -hmm. to help us keep nimble and remind us that we could be once again the subject to an attack or terrorism, whether that was a biological attack whether it's just a very bad flu, 
pandemic and that as an agency we have to be prepared to take care of our members mm. and again this this falls into our belief that you have to take care of your membership so after 9-11 when there was clearly a lot of concern we had the anthrax right. how can we forget that right. we wanted to be sure that we had tools in place to prepare at a, at a moment's notice right. so we have developed and really improved that biopod response the first time we did it was just a staten island drill mm -hmm. and now it's a citywide drill it's held yearly we give out the flu shot at that time because right. that's a good opportunity to remind people to take the flu shot right. but what we're really doing is preparing in case there was a biological event we have been in close communication with new york city department of health so that we are recognized for our biopod so that if we had a true exposure, we would be the first to get a supply of medication or vaccine that's required so that we could take care of our membership. The goal would be to do the first 24 hours to take care of our on-duty people and then set up so that the incoming group would be protected before they headed out to their assignments, whether it's firehouses or EMS stations. Mm -hmm. We never know what will happen, but we need to be prepared. Mm -hmm. So Biopod is part of that uh, preparation. And I would imagine over the years you have honed that procedure of how units get assigned to come to each location. I I'm sure you guys are pretty expert at it by now. Again, it, you know, the, the more you practice, the better mm -hmm. you get at it. And mm -hmm. I think it has really helped us develop a skill set so that we should be able to respond. The members really, at this point, expect it. Yes, you know, they do. a lot of the people mm -hmm. will say, oh, "I'm going to get my shot on bio I'll wait for bio yes. yeah. yeah, that's right. And I think after this year's bad flu, mm -hmm. next year more people will take the shot. That makes sense. Yeah, because that people, makes a lot of uh, sense. you know, recognize it's important. Dr. Kelly, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for your candor and sharing your stories with us. You are going to be sorely missed. Thank you. You are going to have people asking for you for a long time to come. It's a testament to you and the service that you provide and the compassion in your bedside manner. Thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate your kind words, and I value our friendship over the years, too. Yeah, me too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our department's subject matter experts, go to fdmypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org 
and help New York's bravest save a life today.